This episode is brought to you by Dunnings, your local distributor of quality fuels and lubricants throughout Western Australia. Dunnings Fuel operate their fleet of trucks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and on a daily basis have trucks operating in the whole state. Dunnings keeps the whole state running. Find out more at dunningsfuel.com.au Central Station Podcast, where we bring you stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Hi, this is Anne-Marie Huey, and this is my story, Hard Choices, Lessons from a Little Cat. When I said no more puppies, I did not expect to come home from town one day to find two tiny kittens installed in my kitchen. These little cats, one girl, one boy, had been abandoned by their mother and were found, of all places, in the dog run. Normally, Mike and I do not approve of feral cats, as we are well aware of the environmental damage they wreak, but these guys were so small and so defenceless, we had no option but to adopt them. It took a couple of days and some serious bribery in the forms, form of mints and milk, but eventually they came round and turned into two very loving and very much loved family pets. They were moved from the kitchen to my office and began growing rapidly. Being kittens, they are extremely playful and constantly looking for adventure. Before long, I felt they were rapidly outgrowing my office, but with so many dogs, I could not let them out to explore during the day. My solution was to wait until all the working dogs had had their final exercise and feed for the night and were securely locked in their pens, and the pet dogs were also chained up for the night. Then I would let them out for a couple of hours in the evening to broaden their horizons. This worked really well, until one night it didn't. Biddy, the little girl, did not come in for a dinner. By nine o'clock, I was really worried, so I began searching for her. Eventually, I found her curled up in a spare wheel in front of the workshop. The minute I picked her up, she began to purr loudly, and I thought we had dodged a bullet. I took her back to my office and put her down in front of her food bowl, and that was when I realised something was terribly, dreadfully wrong. It was like the left side of her body had no power and she could not stand up. She wasn't paralysed, as she could still move her legs, but nevertheless, something was seriously wrong. I put her into bed, cleaned her up, and that was when I noticed puncture wounds on her back leg. I can only surmise a bird of prey had been skulking around the workshop and got hold of her. I hand-fed her a few, mo- a few morsels of mince, tried to get her to drink some water, and sat with her, purring all the while until she fell asleep. At six o'clock the next morning, I carefully placed her in the car and set off on the three-and-a-half-hour trip to town to take her to the vet. We hadn't had her long, but she had firmly cemented a place in our hearts and I was determined to give her every chance of survival. Unfortunately, after an examination by the vet, it was determined her injuries were just too great, and the kindest thing was to put her down. 
Of course I was devastated, but the end, when it came, was peaceful and incredibly quick. Then there was nothing else to do but put myself back together and get on with a three and a half hour drive home. I always find driving is a great time for reflection, and that day was no exception. I began asking myself if taking Biddy to the vet was really in her best interest, or mine. If I were to be brutally honest, I probably knew the night before that she couldn't be saved, but I also know if I, I would have always had that niggling doubt and associated guilt if I hadn't tried. So was my act of kindness really the right thing to do, or would a quick end 12 hours, 12 hours earlier have been better for Biddy? Either way, my conscience is not entirely clear, but I can at least console myself with the knowledge that though Biddy's life was short, it was happy and filled with love. I then began thinking about how this experience contrasts with some of the standard animal husband procedures we routinely carry out on our cattle. In particular, how some of our procedures can look inherently cruel on the surface, but when you start to examine the motivations behind them, they are in fact the kindest thing to do. Take, for example, dehorning. It's a bloody business that undoubtedly caused pain at the time. The calves bellow and it's not a pretty sight to see blood spurting from their heads as they leave the cradle. However, on the flip side, I have seen old cows come into the yards with misshapen horns growing into the side of their heads, or, even more horrifically, into their eyes. I have seen animals in agony that had to be destroyed after being gored by a bull, and personally know of at least four people who are extremely lucky to be alive today after runners with wild bulls, myself included. I have also seen wieners settling into munch on a pile of fresh hay and calves happily headbutting mum in the belly to get her to let down some milk mere minutes after being dehorned. This indicates to me that far from suffering an extended period of trauma after dehorning, recovery begins almost immediately, particularly these days as pain relief is now available. So while dehorning may appear cruel, would banning it, as some animal rights groups advocate, really be in the best interest of the animals and the people who work with them? Or would it simply serve to assuage the conscience of a largely uninformed public who will never have to deal with the unintended consequences of such a policy? I guess the message I'm trying to get across is that even if the best-intentioned actions can cause unnecessary suffering, and actions that may appear callous on the surface can actually result in a long-term benefit. It is my hope that next time you hear about a farming practice that is considered cruel or inhumane, or asked to sign a petition or boycott a certain product, dig a little deeper. Ask questions of people on both sides of the argument. It may end up that you still disagree with a certain practice, but at least you'll be making an informed decision. And when you get home tonight, give your cat, dog, or a guinea pig an extra pat from me. R.I.P. Biddy. Charles Darwin University's Agricultural and Rural Operations team focuses on North Australian production and business systems, offering current real-world knowledge and experience by delivering both full qualifications and industry-required short courses. Courses at the rural campus are designed to develop the skills required for work on a North Australian beef cattle property or in the top-end agricultural industry, while providing a sound knowledge base in the pastoral and or agricultural industries. They have dedicated staff who specialise in workplace training and assessment and recognition of prior learning. They will come to you and they service some of the most remote areas in the Northern Territory. Find out more at cdu.edu.au.